0: We're going to look at this afternoon one of my favorite Bible examples, and that's Joseph, Mary's husband, Joseph. And we don't know a lot about Joseph. We don't have a lot of details about him, but his example of what it means to be a godly man and husband and father is a timeless one. And the only period of time in which we see Joseph is here in the beginning uh, of Jesus' life. We do see a little bit. Uh, there when the childhood of Christ, when Jesus went to the temple, we see a little bit of him in that story. But beyond that, we don't have any record of Joseph at all. And we don't have any words of Joseph recorded. I think that when Jesus spends some time in the temple, they, they Mary and Joseph speak corporately in that passage saying, we were looking everywhere for you. And I paraphrase, but we don't have what Joseph said specifically, you know, individually, anywhere. We just have the example of how he responded in the situations that God put him in. So we're going to look at a few passages, but we're going to start in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25 say, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son." and he called his name Jesus. We, of course, know that the birth of Jesus took place in Bethlehem. It's interesting to note that apparently, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph settled down there in Bethlehem for a time. We know that because, as I mentioned this morning, the wise men did not arrive till a while later. We're not given Jesus' exact age when the wise men do arrive, but there's a couple of details in the account that that set it up as a different event for us. First of all, the wise men arrived not in the stable, but at a house. So by the time the wise men got there, Mary and Joseph had found a home in which to live. They didn't come to an inn or to the stable. They came to a house. When the shepherds, who we might get to in a future message, arrived, the Bible says they found the babe lying in a manger. But the Bible tells us the wise men found a child, a child. And then if you look at the way Herod react in his paranoid attack on Bethlehem, we can estimate that Jesus was somewhere uh, two years old or under, but we don't know exactly how old he was. And I don't know if we will get to the wise men this December, but I thought I'd share a little bit about them from my study, some bonus content here. I found something interesting that one author wrote. He says, many traditions have grown up around the Magi. For example, it is taken for granted by most people, though the Bible does not say so, that there were three wise men. This idea doubtless developed from the fact that they offered three kinds of gifts to the infant king at whose feet they bowed. One legend says that the wise men were kings, another says that the Magi represented the three races of mankind the Japhetic, Hamitic, and Semitic races. According to one tradition, the names of the Magi were Caspar, Malchior, and Balthazar. Another story pictures one wise man as youthful, one as middle-aged, and one as very old. Just covering all the generations there, I guess. One author wrote, and this is fiction, of course, but I thought it was interesting and stirs the imagination a little bit. He wrote this. He said, one of the three wise men felt sure that what the world needed was a king, one who could rule the nations with authority and power, put down unrighteousness, and bring prosperity and peace to mankind. So, certain that the star would lead them to a king, he brought a royal present, a gift of gold, the peculiar treasure of kings. The second wise men, knowing that the world's ideas of God were warped, thought that God needed to come down here in human form and show the world what he was really like. So, wanting God to be manifest in the flesh, he brought frankincense, a gift for deity, since incense was used for worship. The third hoped that the star would lead them to a savior. This wise man knew that the world was a sinful place, sadly in need of one who would take on himself the weight and guilt of the sins of mankind and atone for them. So, convinced that such a great savior must also be a great sufferer, he brought myrrh, a gift for one destined to die, since the spice was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. They came to Bethlehem, wrote the author. And when they saw that the star had but led them to a, a baby, a child, all three were first overwhelmed with chagrin and dismay. Then they heard Mary sing the song recorded by Luke. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath, hath rejoiced in God my Savior. The Lord, thought the first wise men, then I found my king. And he presented his gift of gold. In God, exclaimed the second, then I have found my God and he presented the frankincense. My Savior, chorused the third wise men. then I have found my Savior and presented the gift of myrrh. All fiction, but a lovely story nonetheless. Once the wise men leave, the reason I'm spending a little time on this is because we're going to skip it this afternoon. But once the wise men leave, Joseph again is visited from the angel in a dream. So skip down to Matthew 2, verse 13 and 15. This is where we encounter Joseph again. It says in verse 13, When they were departed, the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared uh, to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. So Herod, paranoid and infuriated that the wise men did not come back and report to him where to find this young king, he sent and killed all the young boys that were in that region, all that were two and under. What's interesting to note is if you were to study secular historians, they don't mention this atrocity. Most likely because this area was not a very densely populated area. So maybe, all told, 20 boys were killed. And as horrible as that is, this is one of the smaller atrocities that Herod committed. He was very cruel. And there were far worse things that he did. God killed Herod, eventually here, and Joseph again was visited by an angel in his dreams. So Matthew two verse 19 says when Herod was dead behold an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life and he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in room of his father Herod he was afraid to go thither notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream he turned aside into the parts of Galilee and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets he shall be called a Nazarene so in those three passages from the book of Matthew we find Joseph very briefly described for us and one word stands out the bible describes him as a just man to give us a little more insight in the passage uh, there's a few words i want to define for you First of all, it calls him a just man. That means an equitable man. He was a just man. He was an equitable man. He was not willing to put Mary to public example. That means he was not willing to put her to open shame. And so he privily thought about what he could do privily. that secretly. But he was a just man. Micah 6.8 says, He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly? and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Joseph was a just man, he was a merciful man, and I think he was a humble man also. And so there's four ways in this passage this afternoon that we find how just Joseph really was. And as we look at his example, let's apply it to ourselves and see if we would react in a similar way if these things happened to us. Could we be called just uh, like Joseph was in Scripture. So, the first area in which he was a just man, Joseph was just in his intentions. He was just in his intentions. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise in verse 18. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they became together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily, but while he thought on these things, behold, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He was just in his intentions, first of all, in that he recognized sin. He recognized sin. He was a merciful man, but he was just in that he could not tolerate sin. Mary was discovered to be with child. He did not overlook it. He didn't dismiss it or tolerate it. He identified this as a problem. And his, his wrestling was how to properly address this problem. So he didn't justify it or rationalize it. What it appeared to be to Joseph was that Mary, as just as he knew that she was, and as a godly of a woman he, he knew that she was, as out of character as it seemed, what it appeared to be was that she was unfaithful. And so he recognized sin. But what I love about Joseph is he was ready to forgive. He was ready to forgive. He he recognized the sin. He was also just in that he could be merciful and forgive. He did not condemn his espoused wife. You have to have a pretty proper view of yourself in order to resist the urge to condemn others. And Joseph, as a Jewish man, could have condemned Mary, but he exemplified the tenderness and forgiving spirit of a true child of God. Ephesians four says, "Let all bitterness in verse thirty one and wrath and anger and clamor and evil-speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." I'm sure Joseph was hurt deeply when it was discovered that his espoused wife was with child already. But he was ready to forgive. He was tender-hearted. Colossians 3.12 says, "...put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any..." Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. He was ready to forgive. He also refused resentment. He refused resentment. He was just in that he determined in his heart not to seek retribution. He could have brought Mary before the tribunal, before the council. He could have demanded her to be punished according to the law and publicly shamed. But he took the time and he pondered what he should do. He wanted to keep it a private matter. He wanted to leave the reason for the separation unspecified. He had to write her a bill of divorcement in order to to separate this betrothal process, but under the cause, Joseph refused to put a a cause there. It was a private matter. He left it unspecified, unspecific. He did not want this to go on her record, if you will. He was giving her the ability to make the best of the situation herself, and he was choosing, uh, he was allowing her to choose how to mitigate her consequences. If she wanted to run off uh, with other families, she'd be free to do that. If she wanted to Uh, go move back in with her folks, she would be free to do that. But Joseph totally left it on Mary and her family how to deal with this situation. He was not going uh, to make this a public divorce. Because the, the betrothal process, as I mentioned this morning, was considered legally binding. He would have to file paperwork, if you will, in order to set her free from him, but he decided to do it as privately as possible. And then notice he also reflected deliberately. You know what I like about the example of Joseph? Because Joseph did not act hastily, God was able to provide the solution to his problem. Because he did not act hastily, God was able to step in and give Joseph the solution to his problem. Proverbs 16, verse 32 said, "...he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty." And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 19, verse 11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Time spent resisting the urge to act in anger is never time wasted. James 1, says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Don't make rash decisions. We talked this morning about how how much Mary's life was turned upside down by the birth announcement that Gabriel gave her. Joseph was no exception to this. Joseph was in the time period of his life where he was preparing his home for his wife. You think that as a carpenter, he he thought through all of the things that he had built for his new family with his own hands, and the time and the money and the investment that he had spent preparing for his coming marriage, and now his wife-to-be is found to be pregnant. And how disappointed and hurt and wounded he must have been, but he didn't make a rash decision. Don't make decisions when you're stirred up with emotions. Don't make decisions when you're still processing your situation. Give yourself time to step back and calm down and process everything like Joseph did. He didn't act in haste. He pondered what he should do, and God provided him the solution. In verse 20, he says, uh, uh, Verse 20 of chapter 1, while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. While he thought on these things, just when Joseph needed the answer, that's when God sent it to him. An angel appears and says, Do not be afraid to marry Mary. Because this child is from the Lord. This is not the result of infidelity or sin. There's no other man, Joseph. This is from the Lord. And her child shall be called Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. And because Joseph was not rash, but rather reflected, God was able to provide the solution and give Joseph the perspective that he desperately needed. But notice, not only was Joseph Just in his intentions, he was also just in his obedience. He was just in his obedience, and for sake of time, uh, let me skip ahead of rereading all of that for you. But one of the things about Joseph is we notice his obedience was immediate obedience. Every time Joseph receives instruction, he rises and does what he's told to do. It's immediate obedience, he obeyed immediately. We tell our children this all the time. If it's not obedient, it's not obedience. Right? We we mean right now. You know, not on your own timetable, not when you feel like it, immediately. And you and I as adults could use that reminder from time to time also. Joseph obeyed God immediately. Is there something that God has made clear in your life that He desires of you to do, but you just not acted on it yet? We need to remember it, you know. If it's not immediate, it's not obedience. And Joseph is a great example of obedience in that every time he receives instruction from the Lord, he gets up and he does what he was instructed to do. Not only immediate, but unquestioning obedience. Where are the questions here that Zacharias and Mary posed? Zacharias said, "Uh, how am I going to know this is actually going to happen? Mary said, wait, how is this going to work? Joseph said nothing. He just obeyed. Some of us overanalyze and overthink the situations God allows in our lives. And if you know what God expects of you, then you need to act on God's expectations. And Joseph's example proves you don't need to have all the answers or the details in order to obey. It was unquestioning and immediate obedience. And it was selfless obedience. Joseph did not let the consequences slow him down. What would happen? What would happen when he marries this woman that was found to be with child? Everyone would assume he's the father of the child, that it was his sin, and the shame would be his. If they didn't make that assumption, at the very least, he would be uh, be known for marrying an adulteress. And it would be a stain on his family name forever. And it was. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that they, uh, they're like their father the devil. John 8, 41, he says, Ye do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We be not born of fornication. We know who our daddy is. We have one father, even God. That reputation followed that family for life. And yet Joseph willingly bore the perceived reproach. Because his obedience to God was a higher priority than what other people thought about him. It was selfless obedience. He willingly took upon his own family the shame that would come of this. And it was complete obedience. He was a man of action, and his actions were done in complete obedience to the Lord. You know, there are many who start doing what God calls them to do, but they don't finish it. I put this in your notes, but for sake of time, I won't read the whole passage. But King Saul obeyed partially, and he was wholly condemned for his partial obedience. Down there towards the end of the passage, Saul says to Samuel, Samuel shows up, and God had told Saul and the Israelites to destroy everything, to leave nothing alive. But as those of you that know the story, they kept the best of the animals for themselves, and they did not kill the king. And so Saul said unto Samuel there towards the end, after Samuel says, What's with all the sheep? What's the noise that I hear? Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Samuel, it's okay. Not only did the people do it, but they did it so they could worship with it. They're going to give it back to God. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Saul was condemned for partial obedience. And Joseph obeyed completely. Joseph's obedience and his intentions, he was also just in his patience. He was just in his patience. Verse 25 points out to us, And he knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We see Joseph's patience in delayed intimacy delayed intimacy, he took his wife, but he did not enjoy the benefits of that marriage relationship. It was not until after the appointed time of her purification did they finally come together. Joseph was more honorable after marriage than most men are today before marriage. And regardless of what the world believes in practice. And practice intimacy is best enjoyed in God's timing. And so all of you ladies in here that are still waiting on the Lord to provide you a husband, just let me challenge you. Remember the example of Joseph and do not be content with a man who is not content to honor you the way Joseph honored Mary. He was more honorable after marriage than most men are before. He waited for his wife. Not only that, He was volunteer caretaker. Joseph went through all the rigors of pregnancy and childbirth for a child that was not his own. He had to care for his wife as they traveled. He had to be responsible for them both. He had to help Mary give birth in a stable. I've been to six births. I have no interest in being at any others. They're only magical and wonderful when they're your own, in my opinion. Okay? And birth, yeah, I know we got some midwives in the crowd, but birth is not that much fun. It's fun after, when you've got the baby, everything's forgotten, but it's a process. And Joseph and Mary did that in a stable, in a stable surrounded by animals. And not only that, he had to skip right to fatherhood and miss out on the marriage. This is not what Joseph had imagined or planned. Joseph had imagined and planned bringing his wife home. Showing her all the things that he had made for her. Enjoying their life together. And then when God provided a child, having a child together. But he skipped all of that and went straight to fatherhood. And he was a volunteer caretaker. He was also the sole provider. He took on the responsibility without the intimacy. Joseph took on the responsibility without the intimacy. Marriage changes everything for a man. And what I mean by that is uh, if you've lived at all as a man for any length of time on your own as in your adult life, you know, even going to college and all of that, I experienced this, you get used to making decisions knowing that you're the only one that has to bear the consequences of those decisions. You know, If you didn't study for the exam, You're the one that has to deal with that. If you make a dumb decision, then yeah, there's consequences, but you bear the consequences of those decisions. Once you get married, everything you do immediately affects somebody else. And the man lives with that responsibility for the rest of his life. Now every decision I make affects someone else. And I remember feeling the weight of that after marriage. There are a lot of men out there demanding intimacy without responsibility. Joseph took on responsibility without intimacy. He was willing to be Mary's husband, to provide, to protect, and wait on the intimacy. Joseph allowed God to make the plans, and he did what he had to to see those plans accomplished. So he was just in his intentions and his obedience and his patience, And he was finally just in his confidence. In his confidence. They went to Egypt. They took the child there. After they had been in Egypt for a time when Herod was dead, they got message and they moved away from Egypt and back into Galilee and into Nazareth. Joseph was confident in God's sovereignty. Joseph's life was a pattern of obedience to the will of God. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If God is going to direct me down a path, Joseph's mindset is this, if God is going to direct me down a path, then God will work out all the details. And every time God said, go here and go there, he just got up and went. And he was confident in God's sovereignty. He was confident in God's plan. Without hesitation... He uprooted his whole family and left. He obeyed immediately during the night. Think about this. They had settled in Bethlehem. They had a home. Joseph was a man that worked with his hands. He had a business. He had a home. He had a family there. He did not wait to set things in order. He got up and left. Hebrews 3 says, Take heed, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. When Joseph got word, he was confident in God's plan and he just left everything and did what he was instructed to do. You know, when we remember God's promises, we are more apt to obey His leading. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And we just see in the example of Joseph that he was completely confident in God's plan. By the way, the Lord had already paid for the move. Three strangers showed up with very expensive gifts. And then God said, go to Egypt. And it was bought and paid for. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't think Mary put those things in a scrapbook. I think they liquidated those assets pretty quickly. God provided for the move, and Joseph got up and left. He was confident in God's plan. He was confident in God's timing. In God's timing. Psalm 27, verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He went to Egypt. He stayed put until God told him to come back, and then he moved back. He did not stay in the comfort and the safety of Egypt. Well, you know, God, we're doing pretty good here. He got up and left and moved again. If I were Joseph and the angel appeared, oh, here we go again. Man, good grief. I just got the business cards printed this time, you know? Here we go again. But every single time he took this trip, he didn't return back to his home. He moved into Galilee under God's direction. Archelaus was one of the sons of Herod, particularly cruel and evil. So Joseph's hesitation was warranted, and then God confirmed what Joseph had feared that it is better to move to Nazareth instead. Compare Joseph's responses to that other disciple that comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18-22. through 22. Matthew 8 says, When Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart on the other side. And a certain man came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head another disciple said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Both of these men had conditions on following Christ. Luke 9, verse 62, Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No conditions on following the Lord. Just following straight on after Him. And this was Joseph. He made no excuses. He made no conditions. He just immediately got up and obeyed the voice of the Lord. I wonder as followers of Christ if we're like Joseph or if we're like those other men. Lord, I'll follow You as long as I've got comfort and convenience. Lord, I'll follow You as long as the timing's just right. That Joseph, every single time, he obeyed immediately and completely and unquestioningly and in faith, confident that God, God's plans were, were, were best and just. And Joseph was a just man. Do we have the kind of compassion that he showed? When somebody wrongs us, are we as slow to respond as Joseph was? Do we have that kind of obedience that Joseph did And do we trust in the Lord the way that Joseph trusted? I think he's a great example.